art can mean different things to different people. These are just our opinions. Ben interested in know that our opinions may differ from yours and encourage that difference. Also, spoilers. Welcome to Journey to the Center of Cinema, where we try to get to the center of movies and TV. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ben. Today, we can finally prove that we are Marvel shills. With our first television breakdown, this is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Just for reference, today was the day that the finale of Falcon and the Winter Soldier premiered, and both Ben and I have watched it. So we're going to just get general thoughts out of the way before we dive into some other things. Um, We may take some sidetracks to talk about the comics a little bit, because both of us are pretty well-read with Marvel Comics. We can just start off, Ben, general thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. General thoughts. I think the, the consensus on this show is, it's good. It has a lot of ties to the Captain America trilogy, and especially some of the stronger entries in the MCU, specifically with the fight choreography um, that's evident in Captain America the Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War. It brought a lot of that like close-knit, more intimate fighting style, which I really enjoy, especially about movies and television shows that all these people have powers and they end up just kind of punching each other in the face. I think mm-hmm. this is one of those instances where it's stylized and it makes it look much better than just like, hey, we can we have all these powers and this is all we're going to use them for. A lot of these characters, their power is punching people in the face. So like, mm-hmm. let's make it look cool when they do it. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the action that we've seen before in the MCU and how they translated it here. And especially, I think, what the Disney Plus shows have done so far, first with WandaVision and now with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is that we get to explore some side characters that may have never been able to star in their own movie and headline a big MCU project. And it's nice to see some of these side stories and delve into characters like Sam Wilson's Falcon and Bucky Barnes's Winter Soldier, especially with the dynamic those two have shown in the past, being able to really sell that buddy comedy action type story and revisit some other characters that we haven't seen in a while, like Sharon Carter, Baron Zemo, and special guest from AO from the Dora Milaje. I think overall, I agree there were This was hampered a little bit, I think, by following WandaVision, which was so unique and emotion-driven. Jumping back into something like this, which is more closely related to what we're used to with the MCU, with a lot of action and quips and just fun superheroics. It felt kind of strange, but overall, I think they accomplished transitioning some of these characters to the small screen really well. Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan were probably the best people to headline a transition to the small screen because their chemistry as actors and just human beings is fantastic. And this allowed them to dive into characters that have been interesting this whole time, but haven't had shining moments outside of maybe one movie. Yeah, and I think in a pre-COVID world, this was supposed to be the first Disney Plus Marvel show. And it really sets the tone right off the bat because it starts with, I believe, an almost nine-minute action sequence with Falcon, which is great. It's Mm -hmm. some of the best MCU action, which for a TV budget is all the more phenomenal. Yeah, Um, the... The action, as Ben's already said, the choreography and some of just the set pieces are really well done across the board. Over the six episodes, there are a lot of great action sequences, a lot of good fight sequences, and it transitions to a TV budget, though a big TV budget, really well. Yeah, let's dive into some of the characters. We'll just go for the whole series, um, kind of some arcs and things that happened, some comic tie-ins as they are appropriate. We should probably just as a reminder, even if it's at the beginning of this, there will be spoilers. Yes. This is probably going to be released a little bit after this has come out. But just to be clear, there will be spoilers throughout. Let's start with the two titular characters, Sam Wilson, also known as Falcon. And by the end of the show, here's your first big spoiler, also known as Captain America. He's our cap and I am here for it. Yes. I think 
Sam's arc is pretty great in this show because it starts out post end game where the expectations and the shoes to fill from Steve Rogers passing the mantle of Captain America, just they're, they're huge shoes to fill. And I think Sam is under the impression that, Hey, this isn't really my place. Like everybody already knows this, especially as a black man in modern America, he didn't think people were ready for him to assume the mantle. So he instead turned the shield over to the government to be preserved in the Smithsonian and that, he could continue being Falcon. Steve could still be Captain America in everyone's hearts and minds. And that's kind of, that was his choice. And he went back down to his family estate down in, I believe, Louisiana. Yep. And worked with his sister, was trying to get their boat either sold or up and running. And we got some interesting post-blip world relations with the fact that he hasn't had an income in five years. And also... Avengers don't make money. Which was a little upsetting to learn that Tony and or Pepper never decided to pay the Avengers. Yeah. I, I don't know. That just seemed a little weird. But learning, like, seeing how people who were displaced for five years and then have suddenly come back and learning, they don't just get integrated again. It's hard for them to get loans or find jobs. And some of them, their houses have been taken by other people who were there. We got a little bit of that in WandaVision in the fourth episode when we see Monica come back, but diving into it here was really a nice touch. Yeah, and, and I'm really glad that the Disney Plus shows are spending some time in this timeline because that was one of the things about Endgame. We got that five years later, but we didn't really ever mark in that five years. And then everyone came back but there's, there's five years of very interesting world building, not only on a superhero level, but just how would humans react to half of the population leaving? And then we see kind of the, the therapy scene with Steve telling people like, oh, we can move on. But there's a, lot, there's a lot there to be unpacked. So I'm glad that we saw a little bit of WandaVision. And I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's a pretty big part of the plot. And a driving force. And it's really well executed because not only do they tie it to some issues that are happening today with examples of like um, refugees in uh, different parts of the world or people trying to escape violence in their own countries, they take that idea and turn it into, well, there were people who kind of became citizens of the world as opposed to a country because borders weren't important when half the population suddenly disappeared and the, those left behind needed to scrounge together support systems and things like that. We are so off topic. We were talking about Sam, but cool. <laughs> I mean, this is the type of thing that we're going to get into. So I think Sam on top of struggling with kind of almost imposter syndrome, saying he's not worthy of being Captain America and the idea that America as a country or the world even may not be ready for a black man to be Captain America has to deal with being a person who is very empathetic to the pain of others forced to fight against a cause that he not, he doesn't necessarily disagree with. And he struggles with that throughout the show. And I think that is one of the more interesting dynamics in the whole show. And at the end, he gets a comic-accurate Captain America costume, which looks really cool, is Captain America. And it for, that, for the last episode, every time somebody called him Captain America, I kind of got a little emotional. Yeah, I think the, the reveal was foreshadowed at the end of the fifth episode because mm -hmm. Bucky brings back a suitcase from Wakanda after Sam's wings were ripped off, which we will get to. Mm -hmm. And I think we all foresaw... Sam had picked up the shield and in the fifth episode trained with it. And there was a really cool training montage of him basically saying, all right, the, the mantle is mine now. I'm going to become Captain America. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of episode six, when we finally see Sam revealed in the costume, it was, it was a great shot, first mm -hmm. of all, because he's diving in. The shield breaks through a window and then he flies in after it. And then you just see him in his... Is Captain America glory and 
very comic accurate, very reminiscent of the first issue that Sam is Captain America in the comics, where it's kind of a lot of much ado about nothing, where everyone's like, oh, who's going to be the next Captain America? And Sam just walks in wearing the costume, like, duh, I am. So I, I liked that homage there of just kind of, we, we weren't going to make a big deal about him putting it on or anything. He just, he puts it on and he is Captain America. No questions about it. And I think part of what, with, a, with another character we will discuss later with um, John Walker, what the series made incredibly clear was going back all the way to the first, the first Avenger when um, Dr. Erkson, which we will never forget because <laughs> we almost lost a Marvel trivia contest because neither of us could remember his name, said to Steve Rogers, the serum makes the good in you better and the bad worse. I don't need the perfect soldier. I need a good man. And we had the perfect soldier in one character and the series makes it incredibly clear that even if Sam doesn't have powers, he is the right person to take up the shield and be Captain America because he is at the end of the day, a good man. And I think one Anthony Mackie, when it was announced that Sam Wilson was going to be Captain America in the comics, got really excited on Twitter and was like, even if it never happens in the movies, this is great. So I cannot imagine what it felt like for him as somebody who was a fan of Sam Wilson for, for years to be Captain America. But it's just, it's a great moment in this franchise to successfully pass the mantle of uh, one of the flagship heroes to the next generation and pull it off in a way that is both emotionally resonant and very important to some of the issues that are going on today. Yeah. And I think they, they made it abundantly clear through Sam's development of, which I guess, well, we can just talk about this and Isaiah Bradley at the same time, and we can come Mm -hmm. back to, to Bucky here in a minute. We're going to, we're going to make Bucky wait for a second. (laughs) Yeah. The emotional resonance behind some of those issues of racism that are plaguing our country with Sam, not originally not thinking that the world was going to be ready. And then I believe, what is it? Episode two where they meet Isaiah? Yeah. They, in episode two, they go to Isaiah Bradley's house and we learn that in the Marvel cinematic universe, there was actually a, another super soldier experiment during the Korean war. I believe it was. I think so. Where the government took a large battalion of, African-American men and performed experiments on them to see if they could get the super soldier serum to work. And it worked on a handful and then they were captured and the government planned to just like blow up the POW camp to hide the fact that they had done this. And one of them, Isaiah Bradley escaped from whatever facility he was in, rescued all of them. And then they still tragically died. And then he was put in prison for 30 years. And essentially- The serum had worked, but a lot of them, there were issues that arose from it where they would die or have serious health issues. And Isaiah Bradley was the one that the experiment actually took for. He not only became a super soldier, but it worked. He wasn't having the negative side effects. And his reward for that was to be put in prison so that the government secrets weren't leaked Mm -hmm. about their experimentation on him and others. And the show isn't, like it doesn't hide what the uh, inspiration for this story was outside of the comments. There were experiments performed on black servicemen in the past and they drew from that with this as well as a, a short comic series called red, white and black, which I can't find a physical copy of and I want it. <laughs> but Isaiah as a character is very disenchanted with, everything about Captain America because of the experiments. And when Sam approaches him for the first time, he tells Sam that there is essentially no point in taking up the mantle and that even if he did, if he respected himself as a black man, he wouldn't due to what that mantle represents, sort of pinnacle of blonde haired, blue eyed perfection in quotes. And that Sam would never be accepted as a true Captain America, no matter if he was worthy or not, because 
he doesn't live up to the symbol that everyone has in their minds. Yep. And he, in the end, if we skip ahead, Sam, when he does finally become Captain America, not only proves to Isaiah a little bit that, okay, steps have been taken. I am, I can be this, even if people don't want me to be. He gets Isaiah the recognition that he deserves. They go several times to the like Captain America exhibit in the Smithsonian. And in the last episode, he takes Isaiah and his nephew to the exhibit and shows them that there's a new wing memorializing Isaiah as the, uh, as the second successful super soldier experiment. And it made us both cry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that this show surprised me in is I thought, oh, Isaiah Bradley is going to be like a throwaway reference in the second episode just to show that there's this other super soldier and to set up Eli Bradley, who's in the comics Patriot in the Young mm-hmm. Avengers, which we're setting up with and other shows. The guy, the kid they got to play him in the like four or five moments he's on screen is great. He's yeah. very energetic and I can't wait for, if they are actually setting up Young Avengers, I can't wait because they've got a lot of talented people on it. But yeah, so I was thinking it would probably just be like a one episode, like, oh, here's a cool set piece and some characters that we can introduce and tease for the future. Didn't think we'd see more. And then Isaiah came back in both episodes five and six for some pretty pivotal moments, kind of the reluctant mentor to Sam of kind of, I think he really helps Sam channel his like, blackness in a way Mm -hmm. and speak on behalf of this is not from just this is not you being an icon for america this is not you being an avenger like if you do this you're gonna be a role model for all of these young black kids and and our people and this is a weight that you're gonna put on yourself are you sure you're ready for that and for all the negatives of people that don't think you're worthy to to pick up that shield yeah carl lumley who plays Isaiah in the three scenes he's in absolutely shines. He was fantastic. And in portraying this very tragic character. Yeah. And if we just jump back to Sam Wilson for a second, we all, we all know Anthony Mackie in the role now. He's really made it his own. He got to flex a little more in his acting muscles here. He wasn't just a sidekick. He was the main character. And he provided a sense of levity a lot to a show that, for the most part, was one of the most serious entries in Marvel properties in recent years, barring the Netflix shows. And it was just nice to see him at the center of something. Definitely. All right, we've teased it long enough. Let's jump over to the second part of the title, The Winter Soldier. Bucky Barnes, played by Sebastian Stan. A very interesting development for Bucky. He's trying to make amends. He has a list that's based on Steve Rogers's like pop culture list when he was unfrozen and things that he wanted to cross off of things that he'd missed in the past 80 years. Well, for Bucky, it's people to make amends for during the time he was the Winter Soldier, people that he had wronged in various ways and how to make amends for that. And I think one of the best scenes in the show is when Falcon and Bucky are training to get Falcon ready to take over Cap, working with the shield and stuff. And Sam gives Bucky some tough love about, well, the reason that you don't feel any better and you're still waking up with these nightmares is because you're not making amends for the things you've done. You're trying to avenge what's on your list. And he's like, if you actually take the time to meet these people where they are, and try to make amends for what happened and do something that they need, it's going to actually help. And I think for Bucky's whole thing, at the beginning, he's in court-mandated therapy. Is I think like part of the Sokovia Accords, like a forgiveness program? I think it was, it was part of his pardon yeah. agreement. When it, because I think at the end of the, the Winter Soldier movie, all of the information about him is released to the public. Right. And he was hiding in Wakanda for a while because I don't think Wakanda has extradition treaties with anyone (laughs) and nobody could get to him. But now that he's back and living in the world, he got a pardon from the president. He, I think part of the agreement was that he has to go to therapy 
because they he couldn't prove that the brainwashing wasn't still affecting him which probably the other like standout scene from the show is when we see bucky in wakanda being finally freed from the brainwashing mm-hmm. and the dora milaj are saying the words and he's the emotion on his face of just not being able to bear it happening one more time and then when they get to the final word and he doesn't it isn't triggered he isn't brainwashed again just the relief that spreads over his face sebastian stan is a great actor and has i think proved many times his acting chops in the mcu but i think that's probably the standout performance from anything he's done so far yeah that I think that and Wanda in episode eight of WandaVision are kind of proving that, oh no, these, this property can and will show you how good of actors these people are if you haven't already figured that out from like every time Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan were on screen. <laughs> but I, what I liked most about Bucky in this show was that there was never a feeling that he was fighting for the S.H.I.E.L.D., which was really my, my worry going into this because in the comics, after Cap dies in the Civil War crossover, spoiler for like a 10, 15 year old comic now, Bucky becomes Captain America. And there are a lot of people who loved him as Cap and prefer him even to uh, Steve or Sam in, in the comic world. So I was worried that there was going to be some tension there, but it, the way they tackle it was more Bucky was mad that Sam didn't take up the shield because of the emotional attachment he has to it and how he remembers Steve and how he struggles with who he is because he put so much onto Steve to make him who he is, which is very interesting. And I think by the end of it, we, we see Bucky smile a lot and hopefully going forward they'll be able to do some interesting stuff with him being more of just a traditional hero as opposed to somebody struggling with a dark past he's started to overcome it for real and has more integrated back into society and i'm looking forward to seeing what they do next with him yeah definitely let's move on to kind of the biggest addition to this show which was john walker played by wyatt russell who becomes Captain America after the government pulls a fast one and says, oh, we're going to take this shield so that we can put it in the Smithsonian. And then breaking news later that same week, they've given it to another blonde-haired, blue-eyed, good old soldier to become the next Captain America because they say in this, this realm of heroes and the after the blip and everything it's time for a new era of heroes and the, a new captain america and i think i honestly think that john walker is the thing that this show did the best maybe up until the end because as tristan alluded to he acts as the antithesis to steve rogers where steve rogers throughout the entire mcu was always portrayed as a good man who was also a soldier and became a super soldier, but he was always just that, that kid from Brooklyn to his core. And I think there's memes and stuff that go around that, that have been going around that always say like when people would introduce themselves, Steve always, Oh, he's, I'm a guy from Brooklyn. I am Steve Rogers. He says to Groot. And he never, he's never prideful about, Oh, I'm Captain America. And then, John Walker comes in and immediately is just telling people like, I'm Captain America. I'm the new Captain America. And he's just, he's taken that and it's all gone to his head of, hey, I was this great soldier, which is why he was chosen. He, he has this great track record as a soldier and was kind of the logical choice for everyone. But when it came down to it, he was always just this soldier that against the Dora Milaje, who he says, well, they weren't even super soldiers. He was, they kicked his butt. And against the Flag Smashers, who were super soldiers, they kicked his butt. And killed his um, best friend. <laughs> well, later. But he got to the point where there was one vial of the Power Brokers super soldier serum left, and he took it because he needed to prove to himself and to everyone else that 
he was deserving of being Captain America. And he thought that that's what was separating him from Steve was the abilities. But as Dr. Erkstein says, what is good becomes great and what is bad becomes worse. And I think, like I said, the antithesis to Steve Rogers, here's the perfect soldier, but not a good man and everything just became worse with him. And he was prone to rage. And when his best friend Lamar, also known as Battlestar, which is another niche. Yeah, a deep cut from the comics that was very surprised they used, but very happy that they could pull off. But when Lamar was killed by a flag smasher, John took it, um, his rage out on him. And what is a pretty iconic moment from the show takes up his shield, the shield of Steve Rogers of Captain America and kills the guy. Yeah, I think that was one of the darkest images from the MCU. Again, not counting the Netflix shows, which I'm not sure they were ever in, but it doesn't matter. The The image of the of Walker, uh, it was great. A shot, like a low shot with him looking out into a crowd with the shield that's covered in blood. I think Wyatt Russell did a fantastic job. He He had to cover a lot of ground with making walker not only credible threat but also kind of relatable and i think he did a really good job and a lot of his story is is really quite tragic because as he he said in episode five to like a a senate panel is that you made me this way i did everything you wanted me to and i did what you trained me to do and at the end of the day he is he's just a good soldier and proving that just because he's a good soldier doesn't make him a good man, but that also doesn't make him a villain. And he's not. He is just someone who I think when the chips were down, he was over his head. And he was kind of let down by the people who were supposed to help him and train him. When I think even like the beginning of the show, like I think to Wyatt Russell's credit, he you are the end of the first episode where he's revealed i think all the mcu fans their blood just started to boil a little bit of like why are they just they just can't cast recast captain america like that that's not something you can do and i think everyone was kind of like what what, we all thought that sam was going to get the shield and now you're just giving it to this new guy and towards the beginning like episode two with our first introduction to john walker as an actual character you do Wyatt Russell gets you to feel for him. You're yeah, just kind of like, oh, this, was, this wasn't necessarily his choice. Yeah, we all have an attachment to Steve Rogers, but this would be a logical thing. And he's trying to get Sam and Bucky to like help him and be on the same team. And you're like, okay, I guess I can understand. Like, yeah, he's being a little insensitive. Their best friend just like became really old. And and maybe is dead we don't know maybe is dead maybe is on the moon there's a lot of references to captain america being on the moon which like if he's on the moon go cap like yeah be on that moon although very similar to the umbrella academy for my taste but <laughs> anyway um he's you're you feel for him and you're like oh this guy he he has been in put in a tough spot like he needs all the help he can get and having people who are close to steve rogers like back him up would win him over in the public that he wasn't already won over by, but I don't know. According to his initial like sit down press interview, it seemed like a lot of people did like the new cap. Yeah. But that and could I think, probably just be superhero craze in general for that yeah. sort of world. And I think part of it is at that point in, in the universe, cap would be a symbol that makes people comfort, feel comfortable. Like he represents something that people can get behind and Walker obviously understands that and is a little intimidated by that. And I think up until episode, like the last half of episode four, I felt bad for the guy because he was just struggling to become this person that I don't think he, I think at the end of the day, he knew he couldn't be. Right. I think there was a moment at the end of episode two where after he gets Bucky out of jail He does when he's like, well, if you guys aren't going to work with me, stay the hell out of my way. 
and kind of how he came off at that moment, you could start to get into like, okay, maybe he's not as good of a guy as we think he is, but, and I think there were little moments of that throughout, but yeah, you did feel bad for the guy up until he killed a flag smasher using Captain America shield. Yeah. And I think that would, that would be the point where unfortunately John Walker kind of fell off quality wise because he in episode five is just irredeemably bad. And then in episode six, they're like, Oh wait, no, he's okay. Yeah. I, I think my biggest problem with this entire show is the, the last episode, they just glossed over a lot of his redemption arc where there, there was a very good moment where there's this truck full of important people that's falling and then Carly Morgenthau, who's like the main flag smasher, is standing 20 feet away. And Walker has to choose, am I going to be a hero and save these people from dying? Or am I going to enact my revenge and go after her and try to kill her? And he chooses to save the people, which, as Lamar had said earlier, in the, the heat of the moment, he makes the right decision. And at that point, he did. Which I'm, I'm glad that part happened. But then the rest of the episode, all the people that he had kind of double-crossed and like made look bad and fought are just kind of like, oh, he's, he's chill now. Like Bucky and him have like a laugh together. And I'm like, you guys wouldn't be yeah. friends. Like the last episode, you tried to kill one another. Like just because he made one right decision doesn't mean that everything's hunky-dory. Which I, th- I don't know how much of that was the production being affected by COVID and they had to leave some stuff on the cutting room floor or how much of that was just, oh, we got, we got to give him the US agent costume and get him ready for Thunderbolts. <laughs> but either way, I think, I hope Wyatt Russell will continue to be John Walker and that he will appear in some other stuff because I think he's a good get and the character could be used in some interesting ways. I think we're definitely going to see him again with the introduction of Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, um, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I don't know how who, they kept that under wraps, but uh, yeah. she showed up and I freaked out. Yeah, I, I figured there were, they kept saying, oh, there's going to be a Luke Skywalker type cameo, which we also heard in WandaVision, and it ended up being Vision. It ended up being Paul Bettany being a troll, which... Which was great, yeah. and we appreciated it, but also just something with these Disney Plus shows is there's all this speculation because everything's coming out week to week, and which I guess we can get into one of my other complaints about the show is I think that the formula of releasing week to week, they relied a lot on mysteries and like subtle name drops and hints at stuff for the explicit purpose of getting people to come back have all of this intrigue behind it which i mean is part of good storytelling yeah and it worked really well for wandavision right but But in today's day and age especially with how a lot of people felt spurned by wandavision with all of these casting things that we think are going to happen or these big theories and then stuff doesn't happen or isn't revealed i think a lot of this week to week week to week release isn't a bad thing but they're focusing too much on the cliffhangers and the like, oh, the aerospace engineer or, oh, the power broker or all this stuff that when things are revealed, they don't feel as impactful. And when things aren't revealed, it's very frustrating because it felt like something that they, they were trying to set up to keep us interested. And then there was no payoff. Yeah, but I think for Val, as she says to call and to not call her at least twice, her reveal was what it was. She was apparently in Black Widow in some capacity. And that was supposed to be going to be. Yeah, that may have changed now because of this, but we will find out. So I think her reveal was really good in this in this instance on a week to week basis, because the show doesn't focus on her and is like oh you know who this person is and because we haven't seen black widow yet we don't know and like if you read the comics you can you can glean some stuff and i think this is definitely a pretty good mcu reveal Mm -hmm. where it's someone that because it's a big actress 
And because she comes out and says her name, people think like, oh, she's important. And if you're not someone who knows the comics, this would generally be when you're sitting in the movie theater and you have someone like Tristan or I next to you and someone like that pops out and you go, who is that? And we go, oh, that's Madam Hydra. Sometimes. Sometimes. Or a love interest for Nick Fury other times. So I think it was a nice reveal in the fact that it didn't give too much away and it, she was very setting up for something in the future, most likely. Yeah, um, yeah. Whether that's a Nick Fury type character for the Thunderbolts or the Dark Avengers or a different team, who knows? Or it, it, it looks like she's assembling a team based yeah, on the fact yeah, that she, she gave Walker her card and then came back in the sixth episode with giving Walker the U.S. agent costume, which I'm very glad that they did that. Yeah. So hopefully we will see more of her and Wyatt Russell in the future. And I think we have one more big character. Well, two. We'll start with Sharon Carter. Okay. She was better in this than Civil War. I texted Tristan whenever she first appeared, and I was like, wow, they redeemed Emily Van Camp's character in like 30 seconds because they actually gave her something to do other than being like pseudo love interest or pseudo niece or pseudo agent. Yeah, she, she had to leave America. <laughs> yeah. Because... Um, and went to the island nation of Madripoor for the city. It's both. Yes. That's what I thought. And kind of, well, she's revealed at the beginning to be connected to people of influence is kind of like a stolen art trader mm-hmm. um, and has connections to help Bucky and Sam uh, track down the flag smashers. And I think both Tristan and I at the beginning were kind of, when all of the talk about the power broker was happening, we're like, it'd be pretty cool if Sharon Carter was the power broker. And then lo and behold, in episode six, we find out that Sharon Carter is the power broker. And I think a lot of us called it and, I don't think any of us are mad about it because the way the show ends with her character, it seems like she could be setting up to be almost like a, an overarching villain for the, the either the movies or the, hopefully in my opinion, the better option would be the shows going forward, especially if we're going to start bringing in uh, the defenders. She, she could be a good team up with Kingpin for um, some of the, the street level heroes to fight. Right. Yeah. And the uh, mid credit scene for the entire show in the last episode is Sharon finally getting pardoned for her work in civil war. And she's reinstated in her old position as an agent. Um, you think of the CIA now? Yeah, I don't, they didn't really say what, branch she was gonna be in because I, I think the implication at the end of the winter soldier movie was she was working for the cia yeah because shield so. isn't a thing anymore right so she's an agent in a government entity and at the end she's getting all emotional like oh thank you so much it's so nice to be home and to have this position i would be honored and then she walks out and she has this smile on her face and takes a phone call and says that now they can start trading government secrets and weapons prototypes and all this other stuff from the inside. So obviously she's now a double agent of sorts and using this position to her own gain as the power broker. Yeah, and Emily Van Camp appears to be having a ball in the role with Evil Sharon because she's great in every scene. And uh, I look forward to whatever they have next for Sharon Carter. It's an interesting turn because I don't think she's ever been anything more than a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent in the comics. And I'm sure Peggy would be ashamed of her. From there, we can move on to... Aaron Zemo. Baron Zemo, everybody's new favorite character. Mainly just because he... Uh, actually, I think the only thing we need to talk about Baron Zemo is that there's an extended sequence where he dances, then he sings a song mm-hmm. and likes Turkish Delight, which I don't understand Hollywood's obsession with trying to make Turkish Delight happen. It's not, like, it's not something that you should betray your family for. 
no matter what the line the witch in the wardrobe tells you baron's emo in this and he is revealed to be a baron uh which was not clear in civil war but he is and uh, he puts on his purple mask for exactly one scene just to sell more action figures but it happens and i think we all loved it and daniel Bruhl is hilarious in this he brings a sense of grounding is also there to say super soldiers are bad and whenever somebody becomes a super soldier uh, it leads them down a path to extremes and is proven right twice over gosh i hope they have him for more stuff i'm assuming the whole fact that he's still on the raft there's going to be something to come from that, especially because now he's on the raft so that he's under the jurisdiction, presumably, of Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah. So, he could... so if the Thunderbolts are to happen, it would be, it would make sense that Zemo would be part of the team. But I really like that they continued his arc from Civil War because I was very concerned with all the new super soldiers that when the serum was under his feet, like, is he going to take it? Is he going to, but he smashed it. The same thing that he would do in civil war. And I like that he's a very consistent character in that regards. And that the character we saw in captain America, the civil war is basically the same one we saw here. Also his introduction was very silence of the lambs, Hannibal Lecter, which I loved that, that little reference there. So yeah, I think he really stole the show and everything that he was in. Um, also just straight up murdered someone. He did, yeah. Which, again, made sense because this person was helping make super soldier serum. So, like, it would be his MO to dispose of them. But, yeah, it was dark. Um, from there, I guess we can move on to some of the minor characters and then uh, maybe gripes that we have. Yeah, I think we can talk about the Flag Smashers, which are kind of the the villainous force behind the show, although... Villainous um, is in heavy air quotes. Yeah, they're... I think one of the, the great things of the last episode is Falcon, now Captain America, is talking to a senator, and the senator's talking about how we need to do all this stuff. We don't want to let the Flag Smashers win and let them have their way after they've done all of these acts and throwing around these words of terrorists and thugs and bad refugees and stuff that are backing up these stereotypes that these people are facing. And Sam kind of gets to the root of that issue of, well, maybe these people are doing stuff that's bad because you're not listening to what is actually good for them. And instead you're just labeling them as terrorists so that people discount what they're saying. And the, the name of the last episode and kind of the, the motto slogan for the Flag Smashers is one world, one people. Because during the time of the blip, a lot of borders and world conflicts and different things were ended because a lot of the world just needed to come together to solve this mm -hmm. issue. And then as soon as the end of Endgame happened and people were brought back, there was a global repatriation council that was formed basically to make the world exactly like it was five years before. Mm -hmm. So borders were quickly reenacted. People were being forced to go back to their home country, no matter where they were. People who bought a house or moved into a house if the original occupants came back, those people were forced to leave so that the other people could have their house back. And it presented a lot of complex issues that would arise from this sort of thing. And that's one thing that Falcon really challenges the, the senator on is, oh, well, you just don't understand. And blah, blah, blah. And Sam says that you're trying to find the simplest answer to a very complex problem. And basically this council and world governments are just saying, oh, well, the, the path of least resistance is just to restore what was five years ago, instead of finding a way to make it, find a good solution that everyone can agree on. We're just going to do what most people would be okay with. Yeah. I think what's really interesting about the Flag Smashers, and in particular, uh, Carly Morgenthau, who was played by, don't remember. Aaron Kellyman, I believe. Aaron Kellyman did a fantastic job with a role that wasn't a whole lot. And, and by the end of the show was that the argument that they were making was 
during that five-year time span, the world was a better place because borders ceased to exist because you weren't a, a citizen of a country, you were a citizen of this of the world. And that gets to the root of the one world, one people idea. And the show presents it in such a way where you can sit back and think maybe they're right. And by the end of the show, I don't know if I was supposed to disagree with them or not, but I didn't. I think maybe the world would be better if we were all one people. And they do a good job in kind of the same way that um, Black Panther handled Killmonger, where you're presented with a complex problem and the villain is somebody who is presenting an idea that is kind of right, but they're just going about it in the worst way possible. Right. Yeah, I think all of the best MCU villains, you you have that of they've got a good end that they're trying mm-hmm. to get to, but the means that they go about getting there are what makes them a villain. You know, you see that from Killmonger, um, which is why are we being put down and being in the shadows? But a solution is like, oh, we'll just be violent and kill people. Mm-hmm. And Thanos, oh, there's all these issues of overpopulation and like not enough sustainability the solution is kill half of all living creatures. Or I think the same thing with the Flag Smashers is they go, their big thing is, well, we're going to be seen and heard no matter what it takes. So a lot of what they do, they think the only way that they can be heard is if they blow stuff up and steal and murder people and stuff, which is not the way about the correct way to get your message out there, even if it is the most effective. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think at the end of the day that the Flag Smashers were left a little bit um, on the short end of this whole production. I don't know, again, if this was COVID related or they just kind of wrote themselves into a corner and needed to get them out of the way so they could um, make sure that John Walker uh, is set up for something else in the future. But for the first four episodes of the show, the Flag Smashers are incredibly sympathetic and it kind of presents Carly going down this path of darkness because everything they're doing, like at the beginning, they're just stealing food and supplies for people who are being forced into these camps by the Global Repatriation Council. And that isn't enough. So then they, she escalates and then she escalates again. And then she escalates again to the point where um, she bombs a hospital or something like that. And then they are just kind of up and up villains. And there's a little bit of dissent in the group. But once Walker kills one of them, they are kind of pushed aside. And it becomes Carly versus Sam and Bucky versus Walker, as opposed to the Flag Smashers as a whole trying to make their point which is a little bit uh, to the detriment of the show because they were talking about some very pressing issues that are, um, you know, with refugee crises across across the world are actually an experience that some people have. You can't do everything in a six episode series. Which I think of, of the problems I've mentioned up until this point, and I think I may have said that multiple have been my biggest problem with the show, but I think my actual biggest problem with the show is that it just tried to do too much. And I don't know how much of this is because of COVID and maybe changing the, the filming or editing schedule or how much of this was just being newer to the TV game or what. But I think the show tried to do a lot. And I think a lot of it was very interesting and a lot of it was very effective. But I don't think they did any one thing the best or well enough because they they would end up spending too much time on something else. And it, it kind of caused it to be the thing that they spent the least amount of time on, which was Isaiah Bradley and uh, Sam's relationship with him and how that affected Sam, Sam's view of being Captain America as uh, a black man. While very important, and I think a vital part of Sam Wilson becoming Captain America, that is something that they discussed in depth in the comics and it would be a disservice if they didn't do it here. They didn't talk about it a whole lot and didn't focus on it a lot. And yet I think that is the thing that they did most effectively with three scenes um, with Isaiah and a couple with Sam talking to his sister about how it affected him. And the one scene where he and Bucky get in an argument outside of Isaiah's house and he is accosted by the police. 
And I think that's the thing. I think, I think too much. And I think a, a perfect example of this are the Marvel Netflix shows take out maybe a season here or there is that in the Marvel Netflix shows, they spent as much time as they could thinking that more time on something would make it better. But then they, uh, most of them just felt so bloated because there would be too much time on stuff. Um, I think we're in contrast with this, like Tristan was saying with the Isaiah Bradley, it wasn't about the amount of time they spent on it. It was about what they did with that time. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the aspects of this series, they spent a lot of time on Zemo. But they, did they spend a lot of time like helping us really understand Zemo? Or was it really just, oh, Zemo is in this scene? And same thing with the Flag Smashers. Like there was a lot of scenes with the Flag Smashers and like Batroc the Leaper came back. Which and like cool. his big thing was like, hey, I want to kill Falcon. But like, it, why? it didn't really make a whole lot of sense why he was just, that just seemed like a weird MCU slash comic reference that they wanted to throw in there. It's like, remember that guy from the boat scene in the opening of Captain America, the Winter Soldier? He's back. Right. And now he has beef with Falcon? Okay. And yeah, I think, I think Sharon and the Power Broker, a lot of that too is, I think if you didn't have the Power Broker reveal at the end for Sharon, a lot of the stuff besides the first episode she was in wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense for her to be around. Mm-hmm because she was just kind of in a lot of scenes as like helping, but not doing a whole lot. Again, after episode two, she was, re- or three, whichever one that was. That it was, she was episode in. three when they went to Madripoor. Yeah. yeah. She was really good in all of that. Like mm-hmm. she had some good action scenes. Um, she had good character development, but I think the little bits she was in in episodes five and six before the power broker reveal, it was just kind of like, okay, yeah, Sharon's around, but didn't really make sense for her to necessarily be there. And again, I think early filmmaking for the showrunner of this show, Carrie Scogland, early, what was supposed to be the first Disney Plus show, it could be just them trying to figure it out, plus all the negatives associated with COVID on a production schedule. So it's hard to give it a fair shake, but I do think that there was a lot of downtime in this show. That was stuff that easily could have been left on the cutting room floor or replaced in the initial shooting and drawing board of stuff that you could have more emotional resonance or character development or something that would move the plot along better or set something up better. I, I, part of me thinks that this might just be growing pains for a series that is used to being two hour to three hour movies. Right. And when you're given six hours, and you're used to two hours, that can be a problem. Because I think if you if you look, like I said, the, the best part about this was the examination of like Isaiah Bradley and the the implications of passing the shield and the mantle of Captain America to a black man. I think if you just took that stuff, you're at about two hours. Right. And that would have been like, if you were just going to make a Falcon movie about Sam becoming Captain America, that would be it. And you'd be good because you could have the John Walker stuff. Um, you have the scenes with Isaiah and uh, you, it's good. But they were trying to tackle a whole lot and it's never bad. Right. And I think we talked about at the top of this, I think we're, everyone's kind of under the impression of like, oh, it's good. Like it is very good. Yes. But it's like so close to being great. Mm-hmm. There, There's just a few things that they really needed to like, do a little better or like fully dive into or change a little bit that would have moved it from really good to great. And they're just not quite there yet. And I think part of the reason we haven't talked about WandaVision on this show is it for the most part does pass that bar Mm -hmm. into greatness to, and I mean, WandaVision's also been talked to death. When you compare the two, WandaVision with the shorter episodes manages to handle its time a lot better. Whereas this, it, there were parts in this that did lag and parts where I felt like, oh, did we really need another establishing shot of them walk, walking through Madripoor to like, oh, there's Wolverine's bar from the comics. And it's like, did we need that? No. Did I appreciate the Wolverine reference? 
I did. I really did. But I think my biggest hope for the Disney Plus shows, and I think they're already setting themselves on the right track, and I just hope that they fully commit to it, is a big issue that a lot of people had, especially us with the Marvel Netflix shows, was they were all greenlit for 13 episode seasons, and they designed stories around 13 episodes instead of designing a story and then determining how many episodes it would work for. Because most so, of them could be accomplished in 10. Right. Even probably the best season of all of them, which was Jessica Jones season one, there is a point at like episode eight or nine where you're like, okay, this wasn't, yeah, you caught Kilgrave and then you're going to let him go and then you're going to catch him and then you're going to let him, mm-hmm. like, there was some fluff in that that could have easily been trimmed to make the overall story better. And I think and- we've already seen WandaVision was nine episodes long and they were 30 minutes. Falcon and the Winter Soldier was six, and they were anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. Um, Loki is supposed to be six episodes, but around 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. What If is supposed to be 10 episodes, and we're not sure how long. I think Hawkeye is supposed to be eight episodes. So they're all kind of like different points of how long they are and how many episodes. So hopefully... Kevin Feige and, you know, the MCU are looking at it and they're like, we're going to tell the best story and we're going to do that. And then we'll decide episode number and length from there. And I think even if we are ragging on this a bit, there are far more positives than there are negatives. Like all of the actors did an excellent job, even the, the small parts and the writing, even if there was a lot of fluff was on point constantly the jokes for i think 90 percent of the time didn't feel weird which is usually a shot in the dark for marvel stuff because sometimes the jokes don't work at all even if they are funny but um, we're looking at you kurt russell and guardians of the galaxy oh guardians 2 and if you compare it to something and i think we're gonna we're gonna have a hot take in coming here if you compare it to something like the mandalorian the story's a lot tighter there's um a plot and the the little like fan service bits don't detract from the action that's happening. They don't stop for any amount of time to say, hey guys, did you know that Madripoor is a former pirate sanctuary that was in the X-Men comics and Wolverine lived here and owned a bar? It's it's it knows what it is and it doesn't deviate from that, even if some of the fluff is a little excessive. And like we said at the beginning, this was an opportunity to look at these characters that otherwise we wouldn't be able to probably spend a whole lot of time with in the foreseeable future because they don't really fit into an upcoming movie that at least we know of. And this is a good way to check in with Sam and Bucky, who are two characters that are very important to the Captain America legacy in this universe, where they're going, how they're tying in potential. I mean, there's a lot of potential here for a season two. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously the MCU is going to do something with Sam as cap. Yeah. Um, He'll tie in somewhere in a bigger project, but with a lot of, with fewer crossovers that we know of on the horizon, that could be four or five years down the way especially with COVID delaying the projects that we already knew were coming. So, you know, if there is a new Avengers something that's going to happen or crossover movie, I'm assuming Sam will be in it, but who knows when that'll be. Yeah. And I think these characters haven't been focused on since the the Winter Soldier movie. And even then Sam was kind of third wheeling the whole time. And we haven't got any really solid Bucky characterization since the end of Black Panther because he showed up in Infinity War and then was snapped out of existence. And then we saw him at Cap's funeral or uh, Tony's funeral, excuse me. <laughs> and that's it. So like the, it's you, I think utilizing the Disney plus series to check in on characters who were traditionally side characters and give them their own stories is really the, the best way for Marvel to move forward. Especially while they're introducing other big characters in their own movies, like Shang-Chi is coming up, which the trailer dropped this week, and it looks great. Yeah. We're going to continue with 
Black Widow, which who knows what that's going to be, but Taskmaster is going to be in it. So and, um, and Yelena is in it, um, which adds credence to the Thunderbolts or Dark Maybe. Avengers. She could be Dark either. Avengers. Yeah. And we have Eternals on the Horizon, which is going to introduce a whole lot. But Chloe Zhao is directing, and if you've seen our other episode, we're excited just because we now love Chloe Zhao. Yeah. So I despite the the flaws of falcon and the winter soldier i think it is a net net positive heavy net positive and it showcases uh something that wandavision couldn't given its style which was that the normal mcu operating procedure of big action big action set pieces and fights and all of that can work on uh tv and uh we don't need to worry about them losing anything any normal mcu feeling going forward in the smaller screen stuff so like all of the projects that have been announced for tv shows like moon knight and she hulk and all of that i am excited for because it looks like it's still gonna be that thing we love but maybe with a twist of they're gonna discuss some deeper stuff or you're gonna get some more character development and both of those are positives right and i think just after a long time without any new content, it's been great to be able to reimmerse ourselves in this. Obviously, it's a lot different than going to a movie opening night with 10 of your closest friends and all geeking out afterwards or just completely ugly crying, um, which has happened in a past, some of the past few. And then having your friend uh, spoil it for somebody at Culver's. <laughs> Yeah, we're not allowed to go back to that Culver's. We can't go back to that Culver's. But, you know, it's a different experience. But I think just on a personal note, something that's been fun is um, my brother's also a huge MCU nerd like I am. And we've carved out our lunch breaks on Fridays to watch the new episodes together with the watch along feature on Disney+. Plus. So there is a community aspect to it still. And I think mm-hmm. whenever Black Widow comes out in a movie theater. As on my birthday. <laughs> Yeah, as long as it's safe to do so, I'm planning to see it pretty early on. And Tris and I will probably end up seeing it together if possible. Yeah, it'll um, be nice after. So uh, what was the, the last Marvel movie was uh, Spider-Man Far, Far From Home. Home. Uh, so it'll be nice, especially if it, it, you know, right now it is scheduled around my birthday. So that would be doubly awesome, even if I'm more excited for Shang-Chi. <laughs> But I think we're all more excited for Shang Chi. But but having this mar having this Marvel stuff because you know I have um, uh, coworkers and other friends who watch it, and I've been able to talk to them about it as well as Ben. It's brought back that feeling of community that I think we lost when we hadn't had any Marvel stuff for what was it like thirteen months. Something like that. it was a long time. It was more than that. It was July through January or February. Yeah. So it was a long time. And it it's just it's nice to know that they haven't lost a beat. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of us were really to after endgame that like superhero fatigue was gonna set in, like, oh, these stories aren't gonna be as good. Endgame was like this good conclusion, and then Far From Home was kind of this epilogue, but I think they're already proving that, yeah, these stories are a little different, but it's still the same MCU we love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're still, you're still getting those moments of Falcon crashing through the window in his Captain America costume where you go, I know what that is. Like, <laughs> that's straight from the comics. That's great. Or even seeing some of those small Easter eggs, like on Madripoor, we can text each other and be like, I know what that is. Again, there's still some stuff that teases that I don't like, like the aerospace engineer that we all thought was Reed Richards and could still be Reed Richards. We don't know. We need to stop at the X-Men teases. Yeah. Like we get it. They're going to be here eventually, but just stop it because there are a lot of hardcore X-Men fans who I'm sure are really getting tired of being jerked around like this. Yeah, so 
it's definitely been nice, especially because I've had friends that have texted me and been like, hey, can you explain this to me? And it reminds me of being in a movie theater after Doctor Strange and explaining that like, no, Baron Mordo is like a bad guy. Like this makes total sense, this post credit scene or explaining different things from, you know, the original 90s run of Guardians of the Galaxy and why those characters are important and um, who Howard the Duck is. <laughs> who Howard the Duck is. And I think, you know, we are we are coming into a month break here from Marvel stuff. Uh, and when June rolls around, we'll be back for uh, a show that I think both of us were kind of hesitant about. But the more we learn, the more interesting it is uh, for different reasons. Uh, the, one of the last trailers had Loki as D.B. Cooper, which hit me right in a very niche niche spot. But I'm excited for it. And... Yeah, I don't, I'm not expecting Loki to like completely shatter my mind and be the best thing in the MCU, but it looks fun. And yeah. sometimes, you know, that's all you need. And I think you look back at Guardians of the Galaxy and when that came out, people are like, oh, a talking tree and a raccoon. And then was one of the best movies the MCU's ever put out. So sometimes I think if you take those liberties and just, as we've said about Taika Waititi on an occasion or two let the weirdo be weird yeah and good things will happen and you know our last two mcu shows have tackled pretty heavy issues from uh grief to uh race relations and i think maybe we do need just to sit back and watch owen wilson and loki mess with time and potentially it could you know dive into some like loki has some pretty serious trauma and yeah. like they even talked about in one of the trailers how he stabbed like so many people in the back like maybe this could be an actual redemption arc that they dive into and probably not he's probably still going to be like a trickster since this is post avengers loki not post thor ragnarok loki but i think it'll be fun no matter what and that's what i'm excited about regardless the future of the mcu is looking bright and with a new cap and uh, Bucky on the mend. I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm always excited to see where it goes, but and that's why we're Marvel shills. That's why we're Marvel shills, even though we spent a good time out of this saying this could have been better. Sponsored by Disney Parks. Visit Epcot today. <laughs> okay, but for sure, when uh, the Avengers Complex opens, I'm, oh, yeah. it's going to be cool. All right. Well, I think we're just kind of riffing now. So we're trailing off here. So I we'll think we'll wrap gonna, it up. We're going to so wrap you it for, up. Thank you for joining us um, on this journey into our first television um, exploration, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, join us again, as I'm sure in the future, we will tackle a lot more Marvel content um, and Disney Plus shows as they come out. And maybe um, a few uh, miniseries or something. Or yeah. Short shows. We can't do full all right well we'll leave you here with some famous words from baron helmet zemo himself longing rusted 17 daybreak furnace nine benign homecoming one freight car ready to comply bum bum bum